So we have some time for some questions, um, and I'll start with one that was left on the board. Is it important to distinguish feeling tone, to notice feeling tone as well as the attitude? I'll just I'll just keep it that to that place, um, and uh, rather than reading the entire uh, thing that she wrote. Um, so the way I mean the the, the the there's a little bit more in the question about um, um, seeing you know or recognizing through the teaching of dependent origination how um, uh, feeling tone leads to craving and um, a little bit of the question of um, are we brushing over feeling tone by going between awareness and contact and then of contact and then attitude. Um, so in this practice, we um, notice what's obvious already. It's like, what's here now? What's here now? And um, there will be feeling tone present. It may not be what's obvious. And if what's obvious is, so, you know, so you're, you are noticing the experience, you're noticing some experience and revealing by checking the attitude revealing a hidden agenda if if in the if in the noticing of what's happening you try to drill into the experience and well is it pleasant or unpleasant that experience of pleasant or unpleasant is already going to be informed by this filter of an attitude in the mind if there's an aversive filter in the mind the uh it will tend to draw the unpleasant out of the experience. And so uh, the, the exp- exploration, you know, we check the experience, you know, some experience is happening, and check our relationship, try to reveal any hidden filters, hidden agenda. Oh, there's aversion to this experience. There's already aversion to this experience. By allowing and having that aversion become known, the aversion may, you know, lessen. The aversion, uh, uh, you know, it beca- it beca- it's not driving the experience anymore. And this is a place where we begin to see, you know, so if you're looking at a painful experience, for instance, you're noticing pain in the body. There's pain in the body. And Yes, there's unpleasantness there, and um, you know, and and you haven't perhaps noticed the aversion to the pain, consciously noticed the aversion to the pain. So there's the aversion. When you consciously recognize the aversion to the pain, what you may then see is that when the aversion is kind of teased apart, when we recognize there's the aversion and there's the experience of pain, when that aversion becomes teased apart from the pain itself, we may begin to see that actually what we thought was so unpleasant about that experience, much of the unpleasantness is actually in the aversion. And so it's really important to acknowledge the attitude. In a way, I think the, the, the way we're used to practicing is drilling down. 
And, and this is kind of more of a step back, step back, step back. Notice what's obvious. Notice what's obvious. Notice your relationship to what's obvious. And as we notice the relationship to what's obvious, you know, what, what might start to happen is that, you know, that relationship of not liking the pain begins to fall away. And as the, that relationship shifts and changes, we see the painful experience for what it is. And at that point, feeling tone may become incredibly clear to us. That that is, we, we recognize, oh, really what's going on is there's unpleasant sensation in the knee or in the body. And the mind was reacting to that. So it's, it's kind of more that we come from the outside of experience, noticing, you know, the the large, you know, what what's obvious, what's happening that the mind is naturally paying attention to. And through that exploration of what's obvious, the subtler aspects of experience begin to become apparent. But we don't try to drill down and find the subtler aspects. They will be revealed as the, the mindfulness becomes more continuous. Again, this is this style of practice that I'm talking about. We don't try to find things particularly. We are looking at how our minds are organically functioning. Unless there is some some place or time where trying to look at what's organically happening already gets us lost into a rabbit hole of something or other. And then it's helpful to change the channel. Then it's helpful to, to step aside turn to another object. In general, we are looking at what's obvious, noticing our relationship to that. And the more continuous the mindfulness gets, the more clear um, and more apparent the connections, the cause and effect relationship between feeling tone between pleasant and unpleasant and the reaction happens, the more the relationship between thoughts and emotions becomes apparent, the more the relationship between noticing the attitude and a shift of experience becomes apparent. We're, we're, we are naturalists here. You know, much as a naturalist explores experience, we're looking uh, at our experience and not interfering too much. So other other questions, other other thoughts of anything this morning. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> um some announcements. So we'll start the groups this morning, and there are two groups this morning. There's a 9.45 group and an 11 o'clock group. And I've listed it, you know, the, your, the, the names for 9.45 are under the time for 9.45, and the names for 11 o'clock are under the time for 11 o'clock. So five people per group. Um, so just check which time your name is associated with. The groups will be about an hour. Um, um, and uh, for the for the first three days, Alexis is going to sit in and um, observe the groups, partly just to, I mean, this is actually where we get to know you <laughs> in the groups. And so partly it's to, to 
let Alexis, you know, get to know you. Um, and then, you know, he'll have over these three days, he'll have a little bit of a taste of, you know, a little bit of a flavor of uh, all of you. And then in your individual meetings with him, and, you know, some of you are already signed up for individual meetings with him, so that's fine. But uh, it just gives him a flavor of everyone in the room in the first three days, as it does me and give a sense, you know, I often feel like the retreat begins today for me, in some ways, because I get to know what's happening out there. Um, so, um, so Alexis will be sitting in and observing the groups for the first three days. Um, the meetings will be for me, all of my meetings, the groups and the um, individuals will be in room 100, which is um, just past the manager's office, you turn uh, left and go down the hallway by the elevator, turn left again, and it's the uh, room at the end of that hallway. There's a big sign that says room 100. Uh, so that's where the meetings will be. Um, I found it's it's a slightly smaller room, but I found uh, you'll be meeting with Alexis in meeting room one, which is the room right next to the manager's office, just off of the community room. Um, um, I found that having the groups in that in that larger room, um, it tended to uh, create a little bit of a sound uh, ripple into the community room, and people, you know, began to request, could it could that meeting, you know either keep your voices down or, and I thought, let's just move the meeting back to that other room where the, the sound is a little more contained in that room. So the meetings uh, with the groups will be in room 100 and my individuals will be in room 100. Um, and then um, at some point today, maybe this morning, maybe after lunch, uh, we'll put out um, some books by Saira Utejaniya. I have enough copies of the books for everybody to have uh, one of Defilement, uh, Don't Look Down on the Defilements, and um, enough for everybody to have a copy of um, Dhamma Everywhere. Um, I only have 11 or 12 copies of Awareness Alone is Not Enough. So for that, for that book... Um, Let's leave those, let's have those be borrowed during the retreat. You know, if you're actively reading it, you're welcome to take it to your room or whatever. But put it back when you're done with it as opposed to kind of keeping it in your room. And hopefully there'll always be one, at least one or two there for people to pick up and look at if they like. Um, uh, if you don't already have copies of the books at home, or if you haven't brought them here, you're welcome to borrow them while you're here. But please don't take a second copy home with you. These books are not so easy to come by. So um, if you have somebody you want to give one to, that's another matter. But um, uh, if you already have one, you're welcome to borrow one while you're here and use it gently, but then leave it behind um, when you go. So I want to talk a little bit about practicing with reading. Um, the books are uh, um, Sayadaw's teachings. Um, they are um, uh, descriptions. Uh, the Dhamma, Dhamma everywhere, and um, don't look down on the defilements. Both are, you know, kind of organized as a kind of a, you know, in in almost a way to go how he gives his teaching over the course of of 
time. Um, so it's kind of more organized. Those two books are kind of more organized. The, the Don't Look Down the Defilements book in particular, the first, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 pages, is very much the way Sayada, um gave the instructions for his practice in um, the first few years of his teaching. Um, so um, you're welcome to read the books. I would encourage you to read sparingly. To uh, I wouldn't like sit down and just read through the whole book. Um, because reading, like thinking, tends to pull us um, into the world of discursive thoughts. Now, it's content that's really, um, really useful content. And um, so from that standpoint, it's, if, you're, if you're having to think something or have some content go into your mind, it's really good content. You know, it's, <laughs> it's really useful content. And yet, look at your reason. Look at your motivation. Why do you want to read? Is it because you don't want to go sit? Is it because you're avoiding something? I, is it because uh, you're bored? Look at your motivation. A good time to read might be, you know, there's, I, I would make it a practice, you know. I would maybe pick some short periods during the day and have it be a reading period, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. I would say not much more than that. You know, 15 or 20 minutes of time to read. Um, and while you are reading, it's a practice. Notice, I would encourage you to actually read fairly slowly. Read a sentence. How does that sentence land? Or read a couple of sentences. How does that land? So you're taking the Dhamma in almost as if you were hearing it from a teacher offering some instructions. So read a few sentences. And what's your experience? Has reading those sentences impacted your experience? Then you could read a few more sentences. How does that impact your experience? Use it as a practice. Um, sometimes it can be, a, a lot of people report using the books in a kind of a way to, you know, if they're struggling or something, it's like just open the page to something, read three or four uh, sentences of some random, you know, page you've opened to and see how that impacts or influences your working with a particular struggle. And just give yourself three sentences of Dhamma wisdom and see how that impacts your experience. This is a, a good exploration. Essentially what you're doing is um, putting some skillful thoughts into your mind and seeing how those skillful thoughts, how those, those thoughts of wisdom impacts your experience. How, how does it uh, help you perhaps to relate to your experience in a new way? So the books will be out at some point um, today. Um, we'll put all of them out and just, you know, you're welcome to explore that as a practice. So the groups begin at 9.45. The first group begins at 9.45. Are any announcements? Anything I'm missing? Quilly, anything that I need? Okay. Anything you think of I need to say announcement-wise? Okay. I have just one thought on Vietnam. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. 
just to follow up on the Vedna question. And so the Vedna part, and we don't have that much time, so I just keep it really as brief as I can. Um, so Vedana and the feeling tone was a, a piece that was really highlighted by the Buddha as a critical part um, to pay attention to in the Satipatthana. And I think one of the things that Saito is pointing out to us when really encouraging stabilizing the awareness is as we stay with the awareness, everything gets revealed. You know, that, that is the place that the body gets known, the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant will be known. Emotions, thoughts will show up, and then the categories of our experience, the, the dhammas. And so by being with the awareness and knowing the awareness, we can really start to see how we're relating to the experience. So we could notice Vedanan as pleasant or unpleasant and really focus on that. Meanwhile, what, how is the mind relating to it? So this is why what we're really encouraging is strengthening the awareness so that when you know your experience is unpleasant or you know it's pleasant, you're starting to get a better sense of the relationship the mind is having to the Vedana, right? So just being aware of the Vedana, oftentimes we're in there trying to change the unpleasant to go or to turn it into pleasant. Or if it's pleasant, we just indulge in the calm and the peace. So what is the attitude in the mind in relation to to the Vedana? And that's where, I'd say this kind of practice orients is knowing the attitudes in the mind in relation to the object that's being known. Just want to add that. Thank you. Great. So uh, just reminders about the people who were practice leaders yesterday, if you could do it again today. Um, so we'll have that happening for the next two days. So thank you.